Okay, so this is Gil Pratt here. This is the second part on cytokine storm, and I laid kind of the base of the pyramid and probably some of the most important stuff in the first lecture. But let's get in a little bit deeper into a cytokine storm. But let's step back for a second and maybe talk about something that we see very, very frequently in tons of inflammatory states, which is an elevated C-reactive protein. If you ask your colleagues or maybe yourself, what is a CRP? A lot of people just say it's an inflammatory marker. The ones that are a little smarter might say something like it's an acute phase reactant and a sign of inflammation, which is basically an inflammatory marker. And then the really smart ones might tell you that CRP is synthesized in the hepatocytes, meaning in the liver. And others will tell you that you will see an elevated CRP in response to elevated IL-6, interleukin-6, which is produced by macrophages, amongst other things. And in return, CRP binds to phosphocholine on microorganisms, and as a result, it sets off all kinds of things, which also enhances phagocytosis by macrophages. And the point being is that the immune response is very complicated. That is just one part of literally hundreds of the immune response, but one that's frequently tested in patients with disease processes like SARS-CoV-2, as well as a lot of inflammatory processes when we're trying to see, one, if there's a ton of inflammation there, and sometimes trying to see if it's getting better or worse. And so you have all these cytokines involved in the so-called cytokine storm. So you got interferon and interleukin and TNF, tumor necrosis factor. Let's just take tumor necrosis factor, which increases vascular permeability, or let's take interleukin-6. There's tons of different interleukins. What does that do? Well, it increases antibody production. Yet, as I said, it also increases CRP. So it's not that you don't want interleukin-6 made. It's not that you don't want CRP made. CRP increases interleukin-8. What you do want is appropriate triggering of an immune and inflammatory response. But if that response is excessive and cytokine production leads to a huge amount of hyperinflation, then as a result, you're going to get acute systemic inflammatory symptoms and secondary organ dysfunction like I talked about in cytokine storm part one. And here is why this is so challenging because if you shut off cytokines, let's say, oh, it must be a great idea to shut down cytokines because we're going to shut down this inflammatory response. Well, if someone has sepsis, for instance, and really needs that inflammatory response, you may kill them by doing that. Determining what's an overresponse often is not really a determination most physicians like myself can make until it's too late. Meaning we know that there was a little bit too much response if you are an ARDS and can't breathe, and that's adult respiratory distress syndrome, and you're not responding to oxygen well, or if you're starting to go into disseminated intravascular coagulation, DIC, we know, in those cases, way too much inflammatory response. But by that point, it is a little bit too far down the road. And often, even no matter what we do, we can have bad outcomes. Sometimes we have okay outcomes, but usually it's a very scary moment when those kinds of things set in. 
In shutting things down too quickly with certain drugs like corticosteroids may kill people. We've seen that in other disease processes. Fortunately, we found that, for instance, decadron and cyumedrol, corticosteroids in general, when you have a cytokine storm in something like COVID, has been beneficial. But we all know that there's been other disease processes in high inflammatory states where they can be a harmful thing to give. By the way, you are going to hear my family in the background. They're all kind of talking in the kitchen and putting away dishes or whatever they're doing right now. And don't think I'm lazy. I put away the dishes probably more than half the time. So getting back to the topic at hand, depending on the disease process that's driving the cytokine storm, so let's say you know it's Castleman's disease, or alternatively, let's say a cytokine storm is set off by CAR T cell therapy, as many of you know, CAR T cell therapy is an immunotherapy where we use altered T cells as part of the immune system to fight cancer, particularly certain kinds of lymphomas. But something like CAR T cell therapy can cause a cytokine release syndrome. And depending on what kind of cytokine storm you have, meaning what set it off and what the specific situations are, you may use different kind of therapy. So in CAR T cell therapy, if you do set it off in that specific type of cytokine storm, for instance, they are using anti-interleukin-6 antibody and glucocorticoids. In other disease processes, you may want to use an anti-TNF antibody. And in other cytokine storms, like say, like COVID, we have found that corticosteroids have been helpful and there may be other things that are helpful in that type of cytokine storm, and that remains to be seen, and we're still collecting data on that. I think looking back, a lot of us who have practiced for more than a decade, I'm a couple decades in, realize that we've probably seen a lot of disseminated viral infections and bacterial infections and all kinds that have set off the cytokine storm, but the term cytokine storm wasn't front and center in our terminology. But what set it off? Well, you know, the hyperinflammatory response can be from many things. First of all, maybe there just wasn't good pathogen detection by the body for whatever reason. And then obviously, whatever the mechanisms, which are many, 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 to regulate the inflammation and resolve inflammation just weren't getting turned off for certain people. Again, this is probably based on genetics. And then like we talked about in the first part on cytokine storm part one, there may be host factors that are pro-inflammatory as well. And we learned some powerful lessons over the years, even if we weren't calling it cytokine storm. For example, in severe bacterial sepsis, we know now that giving antibiotics quicker and really fast is much more important then waiting till they get to the floor or the ICU, and we need to give them immediately in the emergency room because intravenous antibiotics, as of right now, is the best thing we have to shutting down a cytokine storm in bacterial infections that are causing severe sepsis. And if we do that early enough, hopefully we can avoid capillary leak syndrome, vasodilatory shock, kidney disease, ARDS, DIC, you know, go down the line of all the things that we see of terribleness in septic shock. Well, the point being is that 
Now with the COVID-19 pandemic, cytokine storm has gained a lot of attention. And as a result, it will be better defined in the months, possibly years to come. We are going to get better laboratory tests. Right now we're kind of saying like, oh, if a lot of these inflammatory markers like CRP and ferritin and others are high, we think there's increased morbidity and mortality rates, which is kind of what the data has shown, even if I don't find them all that helpful to be testing day to day, because I still think the clinical course right now is showing me more than what these markers are showing. But the point is, is that in the future, we may get much more specific, right? Testing interleukin-6 and interleukin-10 and Really, there's no lack of cytokines to choose from at this time, literally dozens, and one of them may prove easy to test and very helpful and may be also a therapeutic target. And probably, as I explained earlier, there will be multiple therapeutic targets for different types of cytokines and different kind of cytokine storm processes and can help guide therapy. So I said I don't really retest a lot of these things. For example, in COVID-19, there was an observational study, not the best study, but nevertheless, it showed that if you have an elevated CRP, you tend to have a good or an improved response if you give corticosteroids. I shouldn't say good response, but your chances are better if you give corticosteroids. But interestingly, if the CRP was not elevated in CRP, you may have a poor response if giving corticosteroids. So specifically, if you looked at that study in the Journal of Hospital Medicine, it was titled The Effect of Systemic Leukocorticoids on Mortality or Mechanical Ventilation in Patients with COVID-19. What it showed is that early use of glucocorticoids was not associated with mortality or mechanical ventilation. However, glucocorticoid treatment of patients with an initial CRP greater than 20 was associated with significantly reduced risk of mortality or mechanical ventilation, whereas glucocorticoid treatment of patients with CRP less than 10 was associated with significantly increased risk of mortality or mechanical ventilation. You see, there's been things like, let's say, a meta-analysis, for instance, of influenza pneumonia, which showed increased mortality and higher rate of secondary infections in patients who have been given glucocorticoids. So again, it's not one treatment in all situations. And just because something works in one situation, in another type of scenario, something like a glucocorticoid may be harmful because it may delay viral clearance. But thank the Lord, in something like the COVID pandemic, we were able to find an inexpensive medication. Glucocorticoids, of course, are almost all generic. And it worked, and it saved thousands of lives in this pandemic. If you came in with hypoxia and an elevated CRP, we didn't know early in the pandemic that something like Decadron would help until we had the recovery trial and other observations and trials like the one I just mentioned. With time, we tend to figure things out a bit better as each month passes. And that's definitely going to happen, I think, more with cytokine storm in the future since it garnered so much attention during this pandemic and rightfully so and will be 
much more front and center in our minds for many years to come. Well, I hope that helped and made some sense. I know some of you listeners think I sound normal, but don't really realize I've spent more time talking to my dog today than actual real people. And I hope we learn a lot more about Cytokine Storm over the course of my career and that we help people out more. So I will catch you on the next round. I'm Dr. Gil Parat.